Good evening, everyone. I'm so glad you're here with us tonight. I'm Laura Coates, and welcome to CNN Tonight, Manhunt, Capturing a Killer. I have been fascinated by this story. So are you, and we're going to go in depth to the dramatic capture of Danilo Calvacante from the moment that he broke out of prison almost two weeks ago until this very morning when police crept up on him and surrounded him in the woods. I'm right here in Pennsylvania where it all went down at the location, just a few hundred yards behind me, where the escape murderer was captured just after 8 a.m. Now, tonight he is back behind bars for the first time, I might add, since August 31st in the Pennsylvania State Prison in a different county, this time Montgomery County. But now he's got another charge, this time felony escape. That adds on to the life in prison sentence for the heinous murder of his former girlfriend in front of her two young children. Now you see him in the video shot by CNN affiliate CBS News Philadelphia. Well, tonight I'm going to talk to the chief county detective of Chester County and the chair of the prison board. Now the story of how they got him is like something out of a Hollywood movie. They used heat-seeking technology to find him. And oh, there's a four-year-old canine named Yoda who ultimately subdued what's called a defiant convict here. Now police explained how it all went down. They were able to move in very quietly. They had the element of surprise. Cavalcante did not realize he was surrounded until that had occurred. That did not stop him from trying to escape. He began to crawl through thick underbrush, taking his rifle with him as he went. One of the Customs and Border Control teams, Bortak, uh, had a dog with them. They released the dog. The dog sub subdued him, and team members from both of those teams immediately moved in. He continued to resist, but was uh, forcibly taken into custody. Here at me tonight, CNN's Brian Todd and Danny Friedman, they have covered this from the very beginning, around the clock. And Danny actually broke the news of this capture. I want to begin with you because this has been a fascinating manhunt. I mean, first of all, it was the heinous act that was committed that led to his conviction and lifetime in prison sentence. Then he broke out a catwalk, I mean, a crab walk up a wall. It took almost two weeks to get him. And here we are right now, and he has finally been captured. Walk us through what it was like for this enormous law enforcement presence to get this guy. Listen, Laura, it was incredibly challenging, to say the least. Like you said, 14 days, two weeks, hundreds of officers sweeping different parts of Chester County, where we are right now. And it all went down here uh, this morning. But also, it really started almost 24 hours ago, exactly. It was just after midnight, in fact, when officers got a report of a burglary in this area here in Chester County. They responded. They didn't find Cavalcante. But then they got some support from above. A fixed-wing DEA airplane got a heat signal of what they thought might have been Cavalcante. Officers started to swarm, but then there was a huge storm last night and the fixed wing airplane had to go down. But this was the decision that the Pennsylvania State Police say they made. They kept the tactical teams here. Mm. They formed a perimeter, really in, in a similar scenario to right here in the dark of night. And they held that perimeter through that storm. 8 a.m., they surprised him. They were able to capture him and then that dog, that canine Yoda, the Border Patrol canine, was able to ultimately get into this woods right here, like you said, a few hundred yards, and apprehend Cavalcante, bringing this 14-day nightmare to an end. I mean, you can't overestimate or overstate, really, 
how dark it is here. Right. I mean, I know right. we're behind lights, but I had to see it for myself when I said, well, how is this possible that this man has evaded capture all of this time? And by the way, this is somebody, of course, who had a warrant outstanding from Brazil as well. He's a Brazilian national. So this is maybe a second time, second bite at the proverbial apple here. But aside from where we're standing right now, you can't really see in front of your hand very far. And you've got dense forest and you've got all these places that you could actually hide. Talk to me about what he did to try to even survive all this time. Laura, you mentioned earlier this was right out of a movie. Yeah. Compared to the movie The Fugitive, this is that's almost tame by comparison to this. What he did <laughs> mm -hmm. to elude detection for two weeks. We got some good detail tonight from Robert Clark of the U.S. Marshals, who told CNN earlier tonight just some of the detail that Clark said they learned from Cavalcante in his post-capture interview. He said this to investigators. This is what he said. He said that he, the first two days after he escaped, he hunkered down, really didn't move for a couple of days. Near the prison. Right. Well, he, he couldn't have gotten too far from wow. it, maybe a couple of miles. But he, he basically hunkered down where in place, in one place, for a couple of days. Then, when he did start to move around, he survived by drinking stream water, by eating a watermelon that he had found in a farm field, and by burying his fecal matter under leaves so that the uh, the law enforcement people couldn't detect him. So, I mean, again, the, he, he did have experience, as you just mentioned, uh, from the 2017 murder where, the, where he was being hunted there in Brazil. He did have some experience hiding in the jungle. That's what we learned earlier from, uh, detect, uh, from Lieutenant Colonel George Bivens. So he came to this with some knowledge. He came mm -hmm. to this with some knowledge of this area. And it was really extraordinary. I've never seen a manhunt with this many instances of a fugitive being so close so many times to law enforcement. People saw him. And, and to citizenry. And people saw him with eyeballs. One, uh, like day two, a trooper saw him with his own eyes, chased him. He got away. Uh, he got away from the guy in the garage who shot at him several times and didn't hit him. Brian, he close was close range. to you at That's one right. point. He was close to us. We, we figured out that two nights ago when we were doing a live shot a little earlier than we are now, at about 8.45 at a barn, um, based on a sighting that a woman had seen him a couple of, uh, about less than an hour earlier, that he was right near where we were doing that live shot. He could have been just feet away. As you mentioned, you can't see no. 10 feet out here. So he was close. Danny, what was he going to do next? So that was one of the interesting pieces of information we got from Robert Clark of the Marshal's Office. He said that Cavalcante told investigators today when he was in their custody that his next plan was within the next 24 hours to carjack someone, take their vehicle, and drive up towards Canada. And I gotta say, you know, we've been hearing from investigators for a long time that his plan was to try and leave the country and to try and get wheels. The, the whole, the, the two biggest terrifying factors that police had was that he'd get a weapon yeah. and that he'd get a car. He stole a dairy van, he ditched it, he got a gun, but he wasn't able to get a car this time because police were able to capture him here. I mean, it's unbelievable. If I had not been here myself, I wouldn't have believed it, even in spite of all of your and both of your unbelievable reporting, keeping us all informed all this time, giving us so much information and really, in many ways, quelling the anxiety of all the people in the community here, knowing that we were on the ground. So glad to have you both here today. Everyone, there's so much more to think about and what's happening. And, and by the way, when you Think about and try to understand just how hard this search really was. Forget the darkness. I'm talking about how many places there actually are to hide. I actually want you to see what I saw this evening on a farm where police say they actually saw signs that Calvaconti had actually been there. It's right behind where I'm standing, really, everyone. Becky Patterson showed me around. She's executive director of the, of the farming community that's behind us here. 
where do you think he would have been hiding? I mean, I'm seeing obvious, obviously homes. I know there are tenants, but I'm seeing barns. I'm seeing stables. Yeah. Is there some thought that he was in those areas or that he was hiding in these zones we, and making his way? Absolutely. So I, there was a heat signature that was picked up over in this field um, early this morning. I want to say like 1 a.m. was, was what uh, one of our tenants was telling me. And then down in the lower part of the barn, there's actually an upturned trash can, which my, our tenant didn't do. You know, he came down to feed. There's cows that are down here that he feeds every morning. And he comes down, the trash can's flipped over. So it's like, uh, I didn't do that. Um, nothing missing. And certainly, like, places to hide all over this place, but especially down in this section. And the access, if, if he were in this field where they picked up the heat signature, all you need to do is jump over that fence and then suddenly you have all these tall structures to hide in. I mean, you've got open windows, you've mm-hmm. got open doors, you've got a vehicle that could be used. And you said that it was peak harvest season, so you've got food. Yeah, we've got a lot here. We've got pretty much everything. But, but he would have had access to food. I mean, apples. Orchard, I mean... There's apples in this barn. Like, so the so ho- he had a food source if he was over here. If he knew where to look. If, it, if you start to line those pieces up, yes. I mean, I'm just There's looking no, over here. I mean, just, just, this just is, seeing. This is where the trash can is. That's this is where the trash can is? Yep, Show me so where it is. Here. And you can see, like, you can't, if, if he heard the helicopters, you could hide underneath all of this. Like, um, wow. There's certainly places to tuck away back in here. I mean, just thinking about. I'm actually getting freaked out. The areas he would walk fre- through here. Yeah. It is freaky to think about. I mean, yeah. just the areas that he would have had. Even even areas like this to hide behind or a board or and inside here. Look how dark look how dark that is in there. This mm-hmm. is old farm equipment. Yeah. yeah so, so if this... you're a helicopter trying to go over here, you're not seeing anything in Mm-mm. here. And we have multiple structures like this. There are tenants, but no one would have been in those structures. Correct. So he just had potentially anywhere he wanted to hide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a free-for-all. That's why it was so scary here. This is the overturned trash can. So when um, our tenant farmer, Brian, or I'm sorry, Jeremy uh, from Pasture Song has these cows, but this is the, he's like, I didn't do that. So it's just freaky to think about. And that's the, the surreal part is you see these pieces, these everyday things that you walk past that you would never think twice. And then you look at it again and you're like, did I do that? Did I? Like, who was in here? What was that? So, and we work with six different farmers. So people are in and out of everybody's, right. we share the space. So then you're like, did you do that? Did I do that? Did I leave that open? You would never think. And then you're thrown in this situation. You're like, did I put all of the pitchforks away? Is there anything that can be used for a weapon? Is it I was just going to say, look, at, you've got, I mean, mm-hmm. they're just everyday tools, tools that we use that, or the tenants use, but. And no light. That strikes me again. I see light bulbs, but I mean, if you don't want these on, this is going to be pitch black. And you can just see here, I mean, the yeah. way the hay naturally is, you, you would look at this normally and not think for one second there's something underneath here. Mm-hmm. Now I want to bring in David Sasa. He is the chief county detective for Chester County, Pennsylvania. David, this is pretty unbelievable. We have been captivated by what we've seen. I mean, we learned that officers nearly stepped on Calvicante three times. I mean, law enforcement, they brought so many resources to bear. And I just can't wrap my mind around how do you tackle the problem of not just the scope and the sheer breadth of the area, but how many places this man would have had to hide. 
So good evening, Lord. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, this was a, a lot of challenges in this investigation and, and search. And you know, when we spoke before, I told you I've been in law enforcement for 35 years. I've never been part of an investigation of this magnitude, a manhunt. At one point, we had over 500 federal, state, county, local law enforcement and support people. And, you know, working together collaboratively with a plan and a lot, most of this credit goes to Lieutenant Colonel Livens of the Pennsylvania State Police. He directed us and we, as the leadership, we put together an, a tactical plan and an investigative plan to find Mr. Cavalcante, which we did. Mm -hmm. You know, what find, I find so fascinating about this is that, you know, many people who would have escaped a prison, first of all, would never have known how to do that, number one, let alone how to survive in the elements, in the extreme heat, in the cold at some points in time. You see, I have a jacket on. It's not warm here at night. It was hot last week. You had the heat wave, of course, occurring here as well. He had certain survival tactics that he was able to use and implement in order to evade capture. I mean, he could, he was eating watermelon. He was covering his own waist with leaves. I mean, what does it take to survive and to stay hidden out here? Are you thinking about what was going through his head and the ability to tactically plan? Yeah, so we thought about all that stuff. We had a lot of intelligence information from his arrest. I was there when the murder happened right after. I was one of the first um, detectives to respond to that scene. And, and we were involved in investigation and prosecution the whole time. And, you know, he was resourceful, right? He, 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 he did the things that he knew he could do. He went to shelter in the woods, and he had done that before information when he was in Brazil. And he did things that he was comfortable with. You know, he moved at night, bedded down during the day. He told our investigators that at some points he stayed still for a day, a day and a half. And yes, he told us that, you know, at some points, uh, you know, the, the tactical teams walked past him. Um, and you had mentioned there, you went through some of that brush. That, that area I know very well. I used to work when I was a local police officer up in that area. And I spoke to a lot of the tactical teams and they told me like when they're were, they're in there, they're five feet apart and they can't see each other. I mean, that's how thick it is at some point. And, and with the terrain, the hills um, and just everything in that area, it was tough. It was challenging, but we were we were we were committed you know, we had a team and, and to watch this team get together and work collaboratory was one of the most amazing things I've ever been part of. You know, I, I'm, first of all, I'm so glad that you mentioned, because we really cannot lose sight of why this man was considered extremely dangerous. What he did to this mother of two young children in front of her two young children cannot be dismissed. This was 38 times that she was stabbed in front of her children, I might add. That's why he was not only arrested, but convicted and sentenced to life in prison without parole. And that can't get lost when you talk about the danger of this person. But it got exponentially more dangerous, of course, when we knew that he was now going to be armed. And apparently he even planned to hijack a car in the next day or so after doing all that he has done right now. I mean, how much more dangerous could this have gotten if he had managed to escape this perimeter, this area, and made this a national issue? You know, so we were always concerned that he may get a weapon or hurt somebody. And that's the reason we had a tactical and um, 
an investigative plan and using all the resources. And you had mentioned earlier, we had um, every type of resource and a lot of sophisticated equipment, surveillance equipment to help find him. And that was part of our plan. And, and, and it worked. We got him in certain areas and we came close a couple of times, but he was able to elude us. And you're right. That murder was horrific. What he did showed no emotion. I watched that trial. I was in I was in that trial. I watched it. He showed no emotion, didn't apologize. The jury came back in 15 minutes after hearing that case in 15 minutes and convicted him mm. of first degree murder. And that, that's how horrific this crime was. And, and to see a week later him escape the way he did was shocking, shocking to me. And, you know, we we gathered our support, called all our agencies, and we put a plan together and didn't stop working 24 hours a day. And I have to tell you, the level of dedication of the men and women for every agency, particularly the tactical operators, it, it's, it's hard to describe here in words to what they did. You know, twelve-hour shifts in those in the woods with all their tactical gear. Didn't want to. Never once did they complain ever about anything. They had a mission. They were focused, and, and they wanted to capture him safely and make sure that none of the citizens were, you know, were injured or, or put in jeopardy. And you know, the county, they were. It was unnerving for a lot of people. You know, not only in the, the yeah, concentrated area, through the whole county. My phone rang off the hook the whole time. You know, where is he? Is he close? When are you guys going to get him? You know, my family's, is it safe to go here? And, and it, you know, the the, un, the fear of the unknown was was a hard for a lot of people. But the, the men and women that were part of this um, investigation, particularly the leadership of all the agencies, the state police, the federal agencies, the county agencies, we stayed on the same page with the same mission. And, mm-hmm. and we... we Ultimately, we're able to take him to custody without firing one shot and and injuring anybody. David, it cannot be underscored enough what you just said. I'll I'll talk to a woman who had her three-year-old daughter on the same property in the same area where this man was likely and was eventually captured 100 yards away. I mean, schools were closed in this area. People were afraid for their lives. Why? Because the real unknown was what would a man who had nothing to lose do to stay not captured? Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We've got, listen, a lot more to come this very hour, everyone, because I'm still asking the question of what did it take to bring this manhunt to an end? And you keep hearing me mention this thing called Yoda, right? I'm not talking about Star Wars. I'm talking about a police dog who was trained to do such dangerous work actually subdued this escapee. The Radio Room, Chester County Government, and the various other agencies working on the prisoner escape are proud to announce the subject is in custody. Repeating, subject is in custody. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. 
Temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life. I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra processed foods. There is a lot to learn there. Some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. This is CNN Tonight, manhunt capturing a killer. I'm Laura Coates in Pennsylvania, where convicted murderer Danilo Calvacante is now behind bars after a two-week manhunt. Here with me are the consummate experts, CNN law enforcement analyst Andrew McCabe, the former FBI deputy director, and Charles Ramsey, the former Philadelphia police commissioner and chief of police in Washington, D.C., as well. Gentlemen, you know, I have been looking at this from a prosecutorial angle of what you do once the person's captured. You guys know what it's like to be on a manhunt, to try to find somebody, to find that elusive needle in the hand, in the, in the um, uh, haystack. They did it a couple times. Today they got him. Yeah, you know, an incredible day for law enforcement. A great um, moment of validation for the team that they had put together. There's a lot of things that really, I'm, I'm sure, are going through your mind as well today, uh, Chief. But the intensity of having mm-hmm. to work an issue like this, from the second it starts, you know you're on the brink of a major crisis. If you don't find this person, the chances are whatever they do, whatever sort of violence or mayhem they wreak on the community or individuals in it. It's you on feel, you. You feel responsible. Yeah. That's on you. So. You know, law enforcement is is working with a clock ticking over their head, knowing that we have got to stop this person before they do something terrible. Absolutely the case here with a guy who we already know has killed two other people, allegedly somebody in Brazil and Mm -hmm. and been convicted for the murder here. So I just thought they did a remarkable job. Um, They had a few really unlucky breaks. You know, he was able to get out of the areas where they thought he was hiding. They were right. He was hiding there until he was able to slip those perimeters. That happens. It's a part of this work. It's unavoidable. It's unfortunate. Um, But today they got the break they were looking for. And I think, you know, you raised a, a, a very good point there. I mean, first of all, it's very difficult to try to find someone who doesn't want to be found. Okay, And you add on top of that. Uh, thick woods and and overgrowth and and a huge area that they had to search. I mean, at one point it was eight square miles. I mean, that's awful difficult to do any kind of thorough search uh, of an individual and uh, for an individual. And so I think what they did was absolutely remarkable to actually just stay with it and continue to pour in the resources until they were able to finally catch a break. And that was when that burglar alarm went off put them in a direction, the thermal in- imaging from the DEA plane that actually picked up a uh, what looked like a person crawling, and they figured, you know, we might have this guy, and they were able to, to establish a new perimeter. Uh, we had a very violent thunderstorm here last night, so that plane had to land, so they lost that. But fortunately, they were able to pick it up in the morning, and they were able to capture him. And I, I think people just don't appreciate 
how difficult it is to conduct a search like this, the logistics necessary to be able to have, you know, it's one thing to have 500 people. Right. It's another thing to coordinate 500 well, people. Well, not just 500 people, Chief Ramsey, you're talking about different entities. Different and, agencies. And by the way, the That's agencies right. themselves are, you know, autonomous in their own rights. Right. And they you're smiling because you know they're not like, oh, how can I help and be helped right now? But this was a coordinated effort and that, yeah. imagine those resources. Now, you both have talked about the, the incredible job of law enforcement. I got to tell you, today, like the, was it, Wednesday night quarterbacking makes sense to, to actually appreciate and applaud. But they were getting criticized day after day for how long it was taking. Because people don't understand what you're talking about on those issues. Did it take, I mean, the, the coordination and the resources, was this um, overkill just enough? What? Definitely not overkill. Um, and in terms of the time that it took, it's really a reasonable amount of time, two weeks for a manhunt for somebody like this who is experienced at hiding in the woods, hiding in these woods, pitch black. You know, it's not unreasonable that it would take two weeks. If they made a, a mistake anywhere, it was a very minor one and it was in communication with the public. Some of the their statements early on we're very confident, maybe overly confident. Wait, we have him pinned down in a perimeter and we're confident he's in there. We're going to be able to find him, things like that. Statements with that level of confidence tend to elevate people's expectations, maybe mm -hmm. unrealistically. And I think that's a little bit of what was may have been offset here. But the work they did and the time they did it, great job. And by the way, no one hurt in the process. I mean, he, he himself right. was bit by a police dog. I mean, he's, well, he's, he was injured. Yoda did that. But what they avoided, this man was found with a rifle. He was found with that gun near his body, That's everyone. Right. Well, that was one of the biggest concerns throughout this whole process here. You know, I thought he probably had a knife. He broke into one house, he was stealing food. I mean, what kitchen doesn't have a knife, right? And so it'd be easy to have a knife. That's one thing. But when he finally got a firearm, that changed everything. Because now that really not only heightens the awareness of the officers, it puts them in more danger. It puts the community in more danger because now you know this individual has a firearm. And as you said earlier, he has absolutely nothing to lose. I mean, here's a guy that's committed two murders. He's already sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. I mean, he may as well go out in a, in a blaze. I mean, there's nothing that would stop that sort of thing from happening. And so that's on your mind. And I can't say enough about the courage of those officers, the men and women out there still searching even though, as it was said earlier, in some, you couldn't see five feet away from you yeah. in many instances, yeah. you know. And so, you know, it really took a lot of courage. As far as the time, people kind of believe that, you know, it's like TV, you know, where everything gets solved in an hour with commercial breaks in between. I mean, that's not reality. OK, these things take time. And if he had been able to get transportation and help, it would have taken a lot longer because right. he would have been out of here. Now you're talking about a national search for fugitive. That adds a whole different dimension to it. Look, the experts are here. We're learning and picking their brains, everyone. Andrew McCabe, Charles Ramsey, stick around, everyone. And again, I can't forget, and I don't want anyone to forget, the victim in all this. Her name is Deborah Brandau. She was a mother. And Calvacante was convicted of stabbing her to death in front of her two young children. The 14-day manhunt for an armed, escaped murderer in Pennsylvania, it is finally over. I mean, schools were closed. Residents in the area were fearing for their lives. They were afraid to even leave their homes in this remote area where you could normally leave your doors maybe unlocked and not have all your lights on. 
Well, some people have been describing the hours leading up to the Cavalcante capture. I spoke to a woman, a young mother, her name is Brittany Donovan, who lives on the farm where police say they actually saw signs that Cavalcante had actually been there. We watched just like live streams all night until they weren't on anymore, listening to the scanner just to figure out what's going on. And well, I mean, I tried to get a little sleep with her, but Brian, my husband, he was just like up probably like every 30 minutes just looking outside. I mean, last night it was a little better. There was literally um, FBI on our barn roof. Mm. So it was a little, we felt a little safer just knowing that they were out there and we didn't have to like be on our toes. But that was the only night, the night before that, it was like we didn't go to bed till, try to go to bed till probably like four o'clock just because there was so much going on. There was giant armored trucks driving down our farm road drones like we had no idea what was going on what what was it like to figure out that they were here they were looking at this area because the body was here i mean fbi agents on your surreal yeah that was a weird one when they came knocking on the door asking for a ladder so they could get on our roof to be like on lookout was very weird and then they left my my husband a patch so he feels he feels a part of it (laughs) Yeah. He's a part of it. There yeah. you go. Well, I mean, where we are now, though, I mean, it's so close to where he was captured. Yeah. And that is also very weird because we felt like we were like, are we being watched? And that and now those feelings are like totally validated because he was right there. You felt like you were being watched. Yeah. I mean, just like we're like, is he is he in the woods behind us? Like they were searching the woods. They're searching the creek. So we're like, is he could he be like literally right here? And it was just like so eerie to walk around. Like, are they in like are they in the woods watching is he in the woods you know and then and now we're like he was he was right up there with me now pennsylvania state senator katie muth this is her district state senator thank you for being here with us i mean this is incredible to think that this happened here i mean this what we're hearing relative silence was not what was happening for really weeks now on end She just described that there were FBI agents who were on the roof just trying to gain that advantage to see what was going on. What has your community been feeling at this time? Sure. I think since Saturday, um, knowing that he had moved into this area, Mm. there was a tension that had built, um, an eerie tension and sort of just on edge. And so um, Sunday morning when I woke up, we learned about a van being stolen and all those things that had happened. And this was no longer an hour away from Senate District 44, but it actually, um, there was an incident on a road that connects to my neighborhood. And so, you know, looking at footage of a security camera, like our ring camera, Mm -hmm. and seeing for hours the law enforcement circling our neighborhood just kind of was like surreal. And so then you're like in senator mode then, like, what does everybody need? What are the things, right? Like school, after-school sports, practice outside. Yeah, what happened with all that? I mean, it had to be eventually canceled at the very last minute. So you think about, of course, all this is logistically challenging, but then the impact on families, daycare, bus drivers lost pay, like things that you don't think about immediately when you're looking for someone who's, you know, very dangerous. And so I, I really do appreciate the, co- the coordination of all the levels of government and resources that were sent to this area because... Um, you know, tonight people get to, to sleep a little bit easier, which is a relief. Um, Absolutely. But, you know, there's that. But then this has happened before at that particular facility. And now many members of the community 
will probably want something done to ensure it does not happen again. Are you concerned that precautions have or have not been taken sufficient to make sure that what has happened here these past two weeks can't happen again? Sure. I mean, absolutely. Like, we cannot allow um, those who are dangerous to be out in our community. And so I have not, um, me as a senator, visited the the prison in Chester Mm -hmm. County, but I have gone to four of the different um, state correctional Mm. institutions. So I'm familiar with um, those security processes, visiting with lifers, um, people in high risk. Mm -hmm. I've been to SEI Phoenix um, twice for legislative visits. Mm -hmm. And so the security there is very tight. And so even just then watching the video of how this person escaped, the infrastructure at a state prison, even an older one, doesn't exist for that to happen just based on wall height and a lot of barbed wire and just, you know, doors that don't yeah. open without badges. So yeah. it was kind of shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an area that needs immediate improvement and, and staffing and who's watching the camera. Yeah. All those things need to be um, fixed, which they can be. And I hope that that's uh, done very quickly. We're going to talk a lot more about this next as well and really talk about that. You know, this sparked a manhunt. Now will it spark the changes needed and obviously hope spark some rest for your community. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. Everyone, what is keeping others from escaping prison the same way Calvacante did? The chair of the Chester County Prison Board joins us after this. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Escape murderer Danilo Calvacante is now being held in a maximum security Pennsylvania state prison. But what changes have been made at the prison that he initially escaped from? And how do we know that this won't happen again? Joining me now is Josh Maxwell, chair of the Chester County Prison Board. He's also the Chester County Commissioner. So glad that you're here today, Josh. First of all, you know, you had a chance to actually walk the escape route. And I'm using that term loosely because the man crab walked up a wall, made it onto a roof, and then we don't know what else really happened there. Walk me through what happens next in terms of that escape route. It's a roof? Yeah, so uh, when he crab walks up that wall, we made the decision to release that video because we wanted to be transparent. um, And we thought it was such an unusual escape. We didn't people think he just walked out the front door. So after he crab walks up, uh, he encounters some razor wire and some security measures uh, that takes him several minutes uh, uh, to work through. Um, he then, I can't give out too many details about the additional security measures he faced. Uh, but well, why he, is that? Why can't you? Well, um, I'm, one, I'm just not authorized to do so. Okay. Uh, second, we want to make, there's still 600 folks in the prison, and we're making investments right now to uh, uh, ensure that there isn't any way someone could follow this route ever again. Mm. Uh, but he had to go through another layer of razor wire additionally to eventually leave the prison and get off of the facility in addition to climbing a fence. Uh, this person had high capabilities that um, maybe a municipal prison isn't always set up for. Uh, but now we know we have to be set up for those things. So we're going to start making those investments right away. 
Now you hear razor wire and you think to yourself, well, how can anyone navigate that? And of course, it's difficult to see the images of him. We see him obviously bloodied when he's actually captured and bitten by a dog, the canine um, Yoda. But people wondered about what that was like to get through the razor wire. Had there been enough on the roof to stop him? And then also, how did he get around the area after that? I know you don't want to divulge because who wants a blueprint for who is actually in that prison still? But talk to me about where he's going next and where he will be. Is that more secure than where he's left? Yeah, so he was uh, 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 he was convicted of murder. So he's on his way to a state facility anyway. He always was. He always right. was after his conviction. A municipal prison like ours will hold inmates for around two years. Uh, so he was here in our prison uh, going through his trial, awaiting his conviction, which took 15 minutes, and the DA prosecuted it herself. Uh, and he was, they had, the state had 30 days to transfer him up to a state facility, and he was about a week into that 30 days. So what do you tell people now in the area who are learning about, this wasn't the first time, even the, the initial means of the catwalk or the escape, I, I calling it a catwalk, I mean the crab walk, not the initial escape, uh, not the first time it happened. What do you tell the people in the community who are saying to themselves, what we've been through in the last two weeks, not to mention the family of the victim, including her two children, who must have been terrorized by all of this. What do you say to the community who's looking and saying, is there enough done now or I got to wait to make sure? Uh, we have to regain uh, their trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a section of the world where there is not a lot of crime. Uh, uh, folks here come here for a quiet life um, and don't expect things like this to happen. They don't mentally or, or mentally prepared for that. Uh, so we're going to make more than a million dollars investments into this prison security. We have the funds to do that. The prison board will have an opportunity to make those investments, uh, putting fencing over all eight yards at the prison uh, so that you ca- there's no way to get out in any way, shape or form. Uh, more cameras, more lighting. This prison has been around for decades, has not had those security investments and folks maybe didn't feel the, the need for it to have that. We, we're going to make those investments now, and we're going to include the community with town halls next mm. week, present those to the community, get their feedback, uh, may, start regaining their trust week after week, month after month, and hopefully 10 years from now, we can say confidently there's been no more escapes, and these security measures worked. Well, I tell you, you probably have a very invested population right now making sure that's the case. So thank you for being here today, Josh Maxwell, everyone. Look, there has been a huge day right here in Chester County, Pennsylvania, a murderer who was on the loose for two weeks is now back behind bars. We'll be right back. Escape murderer Danilo Calvacante is back behind bars tonight, everyone. Police say that he was defiant until the end. Back with me, Andrew McCabe and Charles Ramsey. Gentlemen, it's the, the way that it went down. There was no guarantee this would have been a peaceful surrender or that no one would have been either attacked, assaulted, or hurt in this. This is a dog also that was br- brought this down. Talk to me a little bit about what the pressure was like on officers to get this man captured alive. That, that intensity, that pressure we've been mm-hmm. talking about all night peaks this morning when they know they have their guy in their sights. They know they have him surrounded. They can see that he's lying down. He begins to start to crawl away. In that moment, what you have is a decision not to just engage him with firearms, which mm-hmm. they likely could have. They know that he's armed. He's got the, the weapon right there near his body within reach. Um, they send in the dog instead. In a final effort to resolve this uh, as bloodlessly and peacefully as possible, and brilliant move, incredible discipline to do that, um, and we have the result that we got today where no shots are fired. You agree. Y- Yoda deserves a medal. 
Mm. I mean, uh, metal. He does. He sorry, I couldn't help it. It was Yoda. (laughs) My bad. Go ahead. I think the discipline that you know the police exercise throughout this entire process is really remarkable. I mean, this is a very dangerous person, and there are a lot of people, myself included. That really, I'm surprised that it ended the way it ended. Really? What about yeah. it? That it, was, that it was not? That it was really bloodless, that it was peaceful. I mean, they were able to take him into custody without having to resort to lethal force. When he took that firearm, you know, I really said this is going to change the whole outcome of this entire uh, event. So I'm pleased that it turned out this way. But you, what goes behind that decision just to send in the dog? Other than, I mean, there were, there were officers well, on the one, scene. Why that? You, you don't want to put your officers at risk if you don't have to. So you send the dog in because, again, he's still in tall grass. You know he's armed. You're close. So you send the dog in. And these dogs are specially trained. Believe me, once that dog is on him, the last thing he's thinking about is grabbing yeah. that rifle. Mm. Okay? He's trying to get that dog off him. And the minute the dog makes contact, then the officers come in and then they get him under control. Mm. So that's why they did it that way. Right. Without the dog, the officers have to close in and put hands on or engage that subject with firearm. And the dog gives them their last chance to neutralize him, to get him away from his weapon, to distract him without actually engaging in a firefight. Yeah, because so really, really wise. Move. They had lost the element of surprise by that time. I mean, he knew that someone yeah, was running. He was, he was already to starting to trying to get yeah. away. And so to, for the officers then to do that, he probably would have engaged him had that dog not attacked him so quickly. It probably would have been a different uh, outcome. But it wasn't because he's now behind bars, everyone. McCabe, Ramsey, thank you so much for being here. So important. And thank you all for watching this incredibly important and impactful moment in Pennsylvania. Our coverage continues. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.